Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 19, Leda, Lady Sol Garcia, The Equity Uprock Act 1, recorded February 25th, 2019, in New York City. So prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Bonney is a proud partner of Teaching Artists Guild. Teaching Artists Guild. You know, we just had Gene Johnstone, the executive director, on. Oh, yeah. That was a great episode. Thanks, Ben. You're welcome, Courtney. <laughs> uh, could you tell me a little bit more about Teaching Artists Guild? I can. Teaching Artists Guild is a national network of teaching artists and arts education leaders. They've been around since 2013, and Teaching Artists Guild, or TAG, has provided resources and communication about the growing field through their website, databases, and quarterly magazine. They also feature a pay rate calculator and have recently launched an interactive map of the field. Oh, and they also offer dental and vision discounts across the whole U.S. of A. That's amazing. You can visit them at teachingartistsguild.org to learn more about all this fabulous stuff. Tag, where the resources are abundant. Hey, hey, TA listeners, happy Pride Month and happy World Pride. Before we get started, as always, we want to let you know that we appreciate and love you. We love that you're listening. We love that you're talking about it. We're talking to other people. Hey, can you make sure that you tell your peeps about teaching artistry? Um, I'm going to tell you a little story. So... Uh, I can't remember the date, cannot remember the date. I think it was June 8th was Brooklyn pride. Uh, the Brooklyn pride parade goes down or up, I guess, uh, fifth Avenue in park slope. Um, and I, I was walking in it with a, a lovely group called broad views on Broadway. Um, and I happened into that. Somebody said, Hey, these people are looking um, for people to walk with them. Do you want to walk with them? And I said, you know what? I've never done that. Yeah. 
And uh, so people who joined me were uh, Patrick Ferrari and, and um, his friend Nick and uh, Jamie Roach, and Jonathan. It was, it was most, mostly couples and me. <laughs> and then there were a couple other people that I knew who were walking in the parade like Phil Alexander and Tony Harris and um, there's somebody else that I, I saw there. Um, her name's Erin. She was on with the UFT. So uh, uh, anyway, so I, I'll talk more about the, the walk itself, but there was a moment where I had started to recognize some people. So I was waving at somebody who, or I think I gave them a hug um, who uh, I know uh, as we were walking. And then this other person like came up as I went back into the, um, into our, you know, enclave, uh, to walk in the march again. Oh, but there were no barriers, like no barricades or anything. It was just people standing in the streets. It was amazing. Um, anyway, this woman walked up to that person that I hugged, whispered in her ear, and she like pointed at me and then screamed, Courtney, I was just listening to your podcast. Hey, I love that. I love that. <laughs> so tell your peeps, tell your peeps, and then maybe you'll see me or maybe your peeps will see me. Who knows? I can be many places, not all at once, but I can be. Sometimes I'm in Iceland. Sometimes I'm, I don't know, Chicago. Sometimes I'm in New York City. Or sometimes I'm just sitting on my couch talking to you all. That happens. Um, so, yeah, tell your people. We want to we wanna make sure more people are listening. And we can only do that with your help. Uh, and also remember to rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your uh, podcasts and follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let's do it. Let's chat. Let's look, let's, let's enjoy. Hmm? So back to pride. Uh, yeah, I had a really good time. I was wearing a golden cape. What, what more can I say? Hey, there's been some big news that just broke recently that Russell Granite will be the next president and CEO of the new 42nd Street, which is also the new Victory Theater. Um, so I'm going to read a piece of the press release. Quote, as internationally known leader in arts education. Oh, nope, that's not that's not an as. <laughs> I'll go back. Uh, N internationally known leader in arts education, Mr. Granite most recently served as acting president of Lincoln Center, where he was the longtime head of education and community engagement. He has dedicated his over 30-year career to the principles of equity, inclusion, and opening access to the arts for all. Mr. Granite will join the New 42nd Street in early July. He says, I am honored to take on the mantle of such a transformative leader as Cora Khan, as the head of the new 42nd Street. While New York's cityscape has flourished, inequality has grown, especially among children. I am committed to building on Cora's legacy to ensure that every child uh, has great access to the transform transformative transformative my goodness transformative power of theater it is important that young people see themselves accurately represented in the arts it is that personal engagement that unlocks unlimited possibilities so um end quote <laughs> um 
I know Russell actually really well. Um, he's been um, an sort of informal mentor of mine. Um, and he also worked with the, the new Vic uh, teaching artists in, cons- in like as a consultant um, first uh, sort of helping us formulate some of the tenants or principles that we or how we of how we work together and what we call each other and um, that sort of thing. We used to, we've done some um, action research with him. And then also um, he has a, um, a great deal of expertise in um, people with disabilities. So helping to grow our teaching our skills in a variety of ways along with the staff. So I'm excited and I'm, uh, I'd say here's to new horizons. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is the second of two episode series highlighting the 2018 Three, Art, uh, Three Arts Award recipients in teaching arts. As a, a, I'll just remind us all that Three Arts is based in Chicago and they work to sustain and promote artists in the six county Chicago metropolitan area. They're focused on women artists, artists of color and artists with disabilities in the performing arts, teaching and visual arts that stems from the need for a diversity of voices and visions to be supported if their city is to prosper and inspire. Three Arts Awards are unrestricted $25,000 grants and they are made through a result of nomination and jury selection process. So this month we are featuring Lady, uh, sorry, Leda, Lady Soul Garcia, who is uh, a dope dancer and choreographer. And she is the Three Arts H, uh, RH uh, Restoration Hardware Awardee. I'm thrilled that the conversation with the Three Hearts Award recipients, people I have never met, went deep into their passion for the work that they do. And so I, um, I'm really thrilled, actually, with the conversation that we had with Leda. So enjoy the conversation with Leda Garcia, Episode 19, Act 1, Lady Soul, The Equity Uprock. Hello! Hello. How's it going? How's it doing? So who am I talking to right now? You are speaking to Leza, Lady Sol, and that's S-O-L, as in sunshine in Espanol, because everybody's always like, Lady Sol. And I'm like, not exactly, but yes, sure. (laughs) Garcia. Leza, Lady Sol Garcia. Awesome. And where are you calling from? I'm calling from Shy City, the Midwest, Chicago. That's awesome. So um, I have family. My mother grew up in Chicago on the South Side, oh, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, back, way back in the day. Um, so I have a very soft heart and a softness for um, Chicago and all of its glory. <laughs> yes, all of its glory and gory. <laughs> and gory. Yes, indeed. I still have family who live there, so I, I, fr- I frequent uh, often. And um, how I, you and I have never actually met in person, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I feel like I know a, a, enough about you. I don't know everything, so I'm excited to learn more. Um, but how I know you is through the fact that you um, are a Three Arts Award awardee. <laughs> Yeah. So tell me, tell me from uh, one, what type of artist are you? And two, any, anything around like how teaching artistry is a part of the work that you do? 
Wow. It's actually been uh, my dominant practice has mm-hmm. been teaching dance. Um, while many of my friends um, who used to dance with me either went into the field of choreography and or changed their entire career um, into other facets of the music industry, um, such as my best friend and longtime collaborator became a uh, hairstylist um, to a celebrity hairstylist, actually. Mm-hmm. I decided around 2000 while living in Los Angeles that continuing my work in the music industry did not agree with my ethics. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Talk more about that. Ooh, what do you want to know? Well, you know, I don't... My (laughs) diary. I I don't know much about that. Which we might as well talk about because it's a part of the current work Mm -hmm. that I am... Uh, transitioning into which is writing my autobiographical performance narrative um, tentatively titled Lady Soul's Dance Diary Um, but let's get back to the the teaching arts before I go into that um, which I think is important Um, so after making that decision that I no longer wanted to participate Um, within the music industry, I decided I'm going to be a full-time youth dance educator, which is work that I had begun alongside my two other sisters in the culture, Joquanda Salter and uh, Jacinda Hall, but they're both not married now. It's Joquanda Villegas, Jacinda Bully. Um, We began a hip-hop arts and education organization in Chicago, Mm -hmm. 96-97, Kumba Links, um, K-U-U-M-B-A, Links, Mm L-Y-N-X. And so that was an extension of the work I had already begun in Chicago, except I decided that I would do that full-time. And I pretty much divorced the music industry at that point. Mm. And eventually I got back to Chicago in 2003 and have been a teaching artist ever since. Wow. So the only thing that I, I don't know anything about the music business or the industry, um, except, you know, what you might hear or see in, in um, pop media, I guess. But um I'm in theater, so, you know, and I'm, I'm not in Broadway, but commercial theater, the theater world in New York City has a, has um, um, particular um, ways of operating <laughs> and systems mm-hmm. that, um, you know, are, are, I think, constantly in tension between, you know, what sells and what's um, happening and how to be responsive to what's happening in the world. I'm just curious, what would you like to share about the industry that, made you feel like, uh, you know, I can't be a part of it. I need to divorce it. Mm-hmm. Well, ethically, uh, as a woman, um, it was not serving, um, again, my personal views about uh, how I want to entertain or not entertain others. Mm-hmm. Um, in relation to my body. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I felt like 
I was constantly being asked and or being um, put in environments where I had to choose um, whether I wanted to go out on a date with somebody or whether I wanted to have sex with somebody. So it was this constant uh, repetitive uh, narrative, really, uh, um, about, you know, do I want to get down with certain artists? Um, and am I willing to do that at what cost? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was never interested in, in, I was never chasing stardom. That, you know, I I always just wanted to do my job and get paid for it. Yeah. At least, you know, fairly, which that also almost never happened. Mm. So that was um, another ongoing battle and fight within uh, sort of the the ladder, right? Um, mm-hmm. Of dancers, actors, um, as dancers particularly within the music industry, there's no um, union that protects us dancers. Um, There's agencies that represent dancers, but the agencies are also constantly fighting um, to raise wages. And a lot of times, you know, if I look at a decade, right, Mm -hmm. And think about what a going rate was for a dancer in 2000 versus a dancer in 2010. Mm-hmm. It was still the same, and I found that ludicrous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Considering <laughs> that the cost of living continues to go up, it doesn't really, you know, go down. If anything, it just keeps going up, 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 and up. And um, when I was you know, look at emails from other dancers who would um, seek me out for advice because I've also been a dance manager. Mm. Um, I would just be like, are you serious? And we're talking artists like Jennifer Lopez. I have no quarrels with putting it out there Um, because it it was an offer from from an agency that was representing dancers who were interested in working with her, I believe in Las Vegas. So that wasn't even like that, you know, that much off because she's only been doing that for a few years. And I just laughed. And so it also bothers me that now she's, you know, sort of the face of the new, what show is that? World of Dance. Yeah. And I... I honestly, as much as I love dance to my core, I will not even watch that show or really any dance shows um, that are on commercial television because they're really there to a lot of times exploit Mm. talent and they just want to fill up time and I feel like they sell, you know, dreams that that are not attainable or sustainable especially sustainable of course there are exceptions Mm -hmm. 
you know, but I would say that exception is in the maybe 10% if not less right. of those um, that actually participate in these shows. And a lot of the times, um, they don't even want to pay them. So I can give you one great example. Um, my now defunct dance company, the Footwork Kings from Chicago, mm-hmm. were originally offered to participate on the very first season of America's Dance Crew, which used to be on MTV. Yeah. And at that time, there was no budget in place for the dancers. What? The dancers had to make a choice to go on the show, mm-hmm. potentially quit their jobs because they had to fly them to L.A. Right. They didn't know how much time they were going to spend in L.A. Uh, I, be- I believe the only thing being offered was per diem. And, you know, we were just looking like, wow, is this a joke? Because some of the members in my company have kids. Mm. You know, some of them are not, you know, college kids that, you know, are being supported by families. Right. These are young adults that work for a living. And I went back and forth uh, with the creator of the show. Mm-hmm. I honestly, oh yes, of course I could remember his name. This was all going to be in my diary, <laughs> so we can just stop. <laughs> Ooh, I like getting this preview. No, <laughs> no, because... Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, so I'm saying all this to say because we were talking about, you know, treatment and fairness and wages yeah. and the lack of, um, well, the non-existence of a dancer's union, uh, in particular for commercial commercial work. Yeah. Um, Howard Schwartz uh, would call me and tell me that as a manager I was making the biggest mistake in my life for these young black males as if this was their only opportunity to get out of the hood and blah 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 and I would sit there and be like bro you talking to Leda from Humble Park (laughs) so (laughs) Mm -hmm. so please spare me the this is their opportunity to get put on and get out of the hood and blah 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 Mm -hmm. um so i stood my ground and the my dancers supported me in you know in the overall decision of saying no this is absolutely wrong i'm not gonna allow some of you all to quit your jobs or you know not have any money while you're out there so i said no a couple seasons came and left, and they came looking for us again. Right. And at that point, I can't remember what season it was when we participated, but they had implemented weekly salary for nice. the dancers um, and, and per diem. Mm-hmm. And I'm safely going to say I definitely was advocated for that. Yeah. And, yeah, and I was glad that it was available to them. And at that point, I said, yes, they can get on the show now. (laughs) That's great. Good for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I imagine that it had to do a little bit with, like, the quality of, like, where they wanted the quality of the 
dancers to be or the caliber of the dancers and you're right. No, like, absolutely. Yeah. Because also at that point as you know, the seasons were rolling out, um, they got to the point where they were hiring choreographers yeah. to help, you know, these dance groups get further along right. in how they presented their work. Right. Um coaching and all you know all all types of support which i get because you're on international television you want to produce you know high quality entertainment right so it makes sense that you know that they took those necessary steps to uh continue creating great content right and and were they in between the seasons were they going back to you and having these conversations or was it sort of like they'd gone through a couple of seasons and finally were making some realizations and said, you know, let's go talk to Leda. Um, I honestly cannot remember how the conversation went mm-hmm. or if it, if it was uh, one of the producers mm-hmm. that reached out to me and said, hey, we're going back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I really think you guys should because uh, they had to re-audition. Um, also, at that point, some of my cast had changed. I so I understood that mm-hmm. they should um, audition again. And and they did. And that, as I said, at that point, there was an actual you know contract offer. And so it made sense at that point right. to get on the show. You know, that what it makes me think of, like, in terms of the, you know, dancers... Um, you know, really being able to showcase their craft and being valued for for that is 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 in vitally important. Um, and I think a lot about a lot of the conversations that we have in terms of teaching artists who you know have these sort of dual roles, right? They're artists who teach, um, or teachers who are artists, or however you want to sort of couch mm-hmm. all the different mm-hmm. labels that one might call themselves under teaching artists, but. Mm-hmm. The same kind of conversations are happening about, you know, valuing the work and the, the, you know, most of our teaching artists are, at least within New York City, are working freelance and or part time and how the organizations that are employing them and they are shared, a shared labor force, meaning that they're working for multiple organizations that are, yeah. um, you know, across the city and, and we all are clear about that but there's this conversation about pay and what that uh, entails in terms of how are you paying not how what are the rate of what's the rate of pay but how are you valuing the work that a, an artist is putting in to do one workshop planning um, meeting com- mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. coming up doing research and then the actual like getting to the school and being in the school or wherever the educational setting may yeah. be setting up the space, doing all that prep, and then the teaching, and then the reflection, like all of those um, parts to putting on a high quality experience for your learners takes time and energy and needs to be compensated for. And so there's a constant conversation around how do we value our artists um, that may or may not be being moved by the needle. There's also this conversation you brought up before about um, you know, the rates, the rates not changing in 10 years, which is crazy, but that's also something that we are 
constantly up against of like, okay, we make this, you know, if, if we give a raise, when is the next time that we look at those raises? Like we need to be making some really more informed choices around that. And unfortunately, it, at least the way it is in New York City, it's, I can talk a little bit more eloquently about that and, and mostly about the theater world, but like the the conversations are happening. I don't know how much the, the, the needle is, is being pushed. Um, but it's definitely, there's not like you were able to manage a group. There's not necessarily like a management team for teaching artists. There are some groups that have some organizations that may or may not have a union if they have full-time teaching artists, which is very rare. Um, but the, but that's something that I'm interested in is how do we, is there a way in this field to, um, stop thinking from an organization to organization level and more about a workforce level and, and how to, how to, it's so complex because of the freelance aspect to it, um, to, to figure out what that is. <laughs> you no, know? I'm so glad that uh, you are talking about this because it resonates, resonates with several conversations that I have had with several organizations that I've worked for mm-hmm. here in the city. And um, in particular, one organization that I worked with and for 12 years. And as I reflected on those 12 years, I was thinking about exactly what you just said. Okay, so I spent 12 years working with the same organization as a part-time teaching artist slash, you know, freelance artist. Um, but I have no benefit. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've invested over a decade and I'm still to a degree in the same position as when I started. I'm still freelancing. I'm working for multiple organizations mm-hmm. and yes, the hours do end up adding up to a full-time, if not sometimes more than a full-time right. job because of the amount of hours that I'm putting in outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that not valued, especially when the administrators who work downtown uh, certainly have full-time work, benefits, paid vacations, all these things um, that I believe nobody's thinking about. But yet, you know, this may sound very however it sounds, but you guys are making a pretty good living off of our backs. Because we're the ones in the field doing the actual work. Mm-hmm. So who, how, like, yeah, who, who leads this conversation? I mean, can it go anywhere? Yeah. Um, 
Dude, I wouldn't even know where to start. Uh, you know, this is in terms you know, of like yeah, yeah. union. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's the if that's the answer. I'm I, yeah, but but I it's it's part of the conversation. I one of the things that is making me two things that it's making me think. One is if you haven't heard about teaching artist skills, um, uh, you know, go go on there. They have lots and lots of resources, and one of the things, one of the digital resources that they offer is what they call a uh, teaching artist pay rate calculator. And actually, I'm going to go on it so well I'm talking, talking through it. But basically, you input, like, they, they worked with the labor, um, the department or the office of labor. And, sorry, I'm typing. This is what I'm trying to do. Okay. Type and talk at the same time. Let's see if she, oh, wait, is that it? Did I get it? There it is. Oh, no, that's something else. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, teaching Artists Guild. Here we go. Um, and I'm to, doing, like, the super bridge version of, like, how they came up with this. It took, like, many, many years, probably, like, four or five years to put this together. But essentially, the pay rate calculator was created by consulting with the, um, the Department of Labor um, to get like information on a regional level. Um, and so basically anybody can go onto this and you can calculate your hourly rate. And so it asks you where you live, um, how many dependents you have in your household, um, what is your, I'm literally reading this, uh, what is your level of experience in teaching our students? So they have, um, they break it out between beginner, emerging, professional, and master. And then um, thinking about the organization that you may work with. So you're looking at one organization, right? Um, is it small, medium, large? And, you know, you're sort of potentially you might be guessing. I'm not sure. But um, and are you self-employed or an independent contractor? Or are you employed as a part, again, assuming it's part-time? So depending on what you um, input here, it will give you what your hourly rate should be. Often... <laughs> it is higher than what you're, you're currently getting paid. And it may or may not be something that is attainable at the time, but it is something to help in a variety of ways. The way that um, the executive director talks about it is, uh, the, sorry, the executive director, Jean Johnstone for teaching artist skill talks about it in the fact that like, if an organization isn't paying you, it's not just that the organ that the teaching artist isn't getting paid at this rate, but also like, how are we having these conversations with our funders to better be more educated about we can't actually afford it because our budgets aren't allowing for this kind of rate. But if this is what it should be, how do we help move the needle to get closer to that? So there's a whole, there's more conversation on this page about like, what is a living wage? How does this calculator work, et cetera. Anyway, I wanted to point that out to you. I'm not trying to do a commercial though. I could, <laughs> I could easily do a commercial, and I, I, I will say that like I've used this as a tool to advocate for teaching artists in our organization to increase their pay rates, and it's an ongoing conversation because it really does um, come down to like what can the budget withstand, and what does this mean in terms of how your budgets increase if you're increasing the pay rates to you know X amount, you're keeping your programs or you're trying to grow your programs there's like a there's a it's very complex in terms of the yeah the sure side. because it's the whole organizational structures right That's yeah so too. yeah so i'm, yeah, I'm curious because like I'm, I'm so intrigued i'm you know i feel like i kind of went all over the map a little bit but to bring it back like 
one, you started your own your own nonprofit organization. You come from this commercial industry that you've found ways to make to move the needle in certain ways, which is really exciting to hear. How is that happening in the teaching artist world from your perspective? And or <laughs> um, okay. what conversations do you want to have around that so that we are we are create we are thinking about at least or starting to have a dialogue about like how do we move that needle within the teaching artist field in you know in your lovely example about um uh uh america's what is it <laughs> america's, america's best dance, best dance yeah crew. dance crew like in that in that really great example um, I'm sure that's had some resonance in other dance shows potentially. And, you know, so what, you know, what is it that we can do? Is it a union? Is the union the, the answer or is it this sort of management model that could be an interesting thing? That's not it's, or is it like uh, a teaching artist equity, which I guess would be a union, but like, can, is there a way to think cross depart, uh, cross di- disciplinary Potentially. You know, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. I have no answers. Know, I'm literally I, I just think, throwing I, I these questions really out. Think it could be a management and, uh, again, structural model within organizations because I mm. feel that if you can have an entire floor of administrators who range from program uh, assistants to program managers mm-hmm. to curriculum specialists, mm-hmm. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Again, I've not looked at their, you know, annual budgets or reports, so I cannot speak on, okay, this percentage is going, you know, to the teaching artists and this percentage is going towards the stipends being paid to the young people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point, as teaching artists, we did get switched from being a 1099er to a W-2-er. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and so now we're actually paying taxes against our wages, mm-hmm. which I thought that was good, um, in particular for, uh, for artists that are being hired directly to the organization. Right. So if that happens, and we decide or inquire about uh, teaching three programs instead of one. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm averaging 15 to 20 hours with one program, if I did two programs, then I would have that 30-hour mark. But mm-hmm. I feel like they never allow us to do that. And so it makes me question, well, why is that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe... Maybe you scale down on trying not to have 200 programs, which most of them don't end up being quality programs, and maybe focus on the quality programs and keep those teaching artists that want to be full-time teaching artists, such as myself, when, you know, at that time, (laughs) Um, you know, why, why can that not be something that they would try. Thank you for listening to episode 19, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Leda Lady Sol Garcia, The Equity Uprock. Join us next time for act two. 
Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the media arts coordinator. John O'Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. And follow us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.